Greetings, you are now listening to the McCuffey Croncast. Stand by for your hosts, Brian Murphy and Doug Bruzzoni. They will be discussing your favorite baseball squadron, the San Francisco Giants. Take it away, Brian and Doug. Okay, welcome to the show. It's Thursday, September 1st. Oh my God, we're in September. And uh, and calling, calling him off the 40-man roster, uh, calling him up to the big leagues, uh, back for a cup of coffee, maybe? I don't know. Uh, Ruben Poling, Ruben, welcome back. I have been on that bus back and forth from Sacramento so many times. <laughs> In-N-Out Burger is not exciting anymore. Uh, I, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to stick. Uh, how many In-N-Out Burgers or trips to In-N-Out Burger do you think it takes to get to that point? If you had to throw a number on it. Oh, like... I think it's a density thing. Like, I think if I went to In-N-Out Burger a hundred times over the course of ten years, I'd be fine. If I went to In-N-Out Burger twenty times in a month, I would I would cry. I would eat kale and cry. <laughs> if I yeah, that's a good thought. I mean, if I went there, I think if I went to In-N-Out Burger three times a month, that's that's approaching too many. Like, it would have a cumulative effect by the third or fourth month. Where I've where I've been like, oh, that's that's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, like I, I couldn't imagine. I you know I ate a lot of In and Out Burger in college, like at, at just way way more than was recommended. But I also I did a lot of drugs, so that probably had a lot to do with it. Like <laughs> it was, it all seemed fine. Uh, well, what also seems fine is that the Giants are in bits and pieces looking again like a major league baseball team. Yeah, they, they look yeah. remarkably like a, you know, a contending baseball team that sometimes loses some games, like just a team in the middle of a, of a tough stretch, not this like miserable morality play. <laughs> Yeah, so I I think it's safe to say that they are out of the death spiral, and they're either dead, or they're they've got a long road to recovery. They're still twitching. Like we're not sure yeah. if it's signs of life yeah. or just like the last few motor neurons firing. <laughs> um, like if they had a coffee before they went on the plane. Exactly. It's it, might like just, everything. <laughs> it might just be Hunter Pence who's going to be twitching for like ten years after he's buried. <laughs> Uh, so the Giants are, uh, as I speak, they are a game out. Uh, we are recording this Wednesday night, and the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles are playing in Colorado, the second game of a doubleheader, and they are currently losing. Uh, I won't tell you at what time or what point in the game this is because I don't know exactly when we're recording and what's the fun in that. Um, you could guess. It'd be fun, I think. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so the Giants have a chance to, I don't know, save face, essentially, for, for, for the month of September being tied. Uh, and that would, be, that would be fantastic. Or, yeah. or half a game back. That would be. No, they'd be tied. They'd be t- uh, tied with, they'd be half a game back with a loss. Brian, get it right. There we go. Yeah. So half a game back with, with a Dodgers loss. And that's a pretty good way to start September. Yeah, and as much as we, you know, can talk about the the woeful recent history of the Giants, like right now the the Dodgers are doing their damnedest to avoid being swept by the Colorado Rockies. 
the yeah. Rockies are not a good team. Like, I actually, I'm kind of excited because I feel like next season or the next, basically the other three teams in the NL West have been taking turns going like, no, we're relevant. This is a three-team division. And spending a bunch of money to try to compete with the Dodgers and the Giants and then just falling on their faces like, you know, some kind of Three Stooges skit. Um, so, you know, this year it was it was the D-backs. It was, it was Larry and uh, the Padres, Curly, were, were on it before. So I think Mo is up next. I think the Rockies get to, like, go out there and supplant their homegrown or, or uh, sorry, not supplant, but support their homegrown roster with uh, some big free agent signings and trades uh, so they can win, like, 78 games. Well, one thing that the Rockies have shown is sort of these flashes uh, of being, like, they basically, like you said, there's a rotating... There's like a lazy Susan esque quality to the, to the other teams in the division, yeah. uh, but the Rockies seem to more than the Diamondbacks and the Padres seem to show more consistently these flashes in a season. Sometimes even twice in a season, um, uh, you know, at the beginning and maybe in the middle or towards the yeah. end, I would say. Oh yeah, they were. They're, uh... they're, there are only a few games under 500 right now. You know, but, I mean, I think so. it was uh, Michael Bauman at the Ringer who wrote his column that went up on uh, on August 31st um, that the the Rockies were briefly in the wild card hunt uh, after the All Star break before bouncing off of 500 like a toddler off a well polished glass door. <laughs> the greatest thing I've read all week. By the way, I have done that before. Oh yeah, it, 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 it is painful. Yeah, <laughs> like as the a to- to- as a toddler or recently. Uh, I would say I was uh, eight or nine when the- I was eight, eight or nine when that when it happened the first time when I <laughs> ran into it. But the most recent time, because these are the only two times I can recall, was uh, on set. I was a production assistant on a pilot uh, back in 2009. Oh, man, I can get very specific here. It was March 2009 on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank. And uh, and I had to set background in place, and then I had to get the heck out, out of the shot off set. And it wasn't that I didn't know a, a window was there. It's that I had moved enough to like disorient myself enough the window was right next to the door and the it was such a clean window (laughs) that it looked like an open door the open doorway i had come through so i turned very quickly to get out of there because it was my first time ever getting that responsibility of setting background and doing that i was like all right i don't know what i'm doing Get out of here. <laughs> I think I did it. <laughs> so before I get in trouble, get out of here. And I turned, took a step and a half, oh, and boom, no. I was in the window. <laughs> but then I quickly, because I was I, I was in pure defense mode, like everything I'm about to do, I'm going to mess up. So I'm like, oh, I messed up. I rolled off the window like I was being tackled by it. I did a spin move around it and out the door. <laughs> so it happened very quickly, but uh, yeah, it was still embarrassing and it hurt, but not as much as when I was nine, yeah, uh, or eight, or yeah, whatever. full momentum. Yeah. Well, uh, much like much like Brian uh, moving smoothly <laughs> off the set, let's segue into what the Giants were doing this week. Well, they were winning a little bit, and they were still kind of losing, but the Giants did. I mean, folks, I, I feel like 
I'm going to give them another. I like clapping on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. For some reason. Uh, uh, the Giants won their third series of the second half, folks. I mean, that is that is no small accomplishment. It's, it's huge. Sorry, they split it. What am I, they won their second series. They split their third That's series. <laughs> two games against the Diamondbacks was yeah. really weird. Yeah, uh, I'm okay with it, but it is weird at the same it's time. It's odd scheduling. Uh, yeah, it's odd scheduling. Um, but So the Giants, they go one-on-one one with Arizona, and they take two of three against Atlanta, which losing to Atlanta is kind of like you got swept. Yeah. It's not a good look. So in one sense, good for the Giants. They did, they did well. Um, but in another sense, no. And we didn't really talk about the Dodgers series yet. Um, and something miraculous happened in that Dodgers series. Matt Moore showed the world exactly why the Giants got him. Yeah, that was a really, I mean, we know Brian Sabian has been telling us for many years that he's not an idiot. We, I, I, I understand the logic behind the Matt Moore trade. It's one of those things where you just have to worry about the specifics. Like, okay, trade one of our few positions of strength, the controllable young infield, trade from position of strength to something that is really hard to get, a controllable young pitcher with good stuff. Like, that's sensible. I see where they're going with that. Is this the guy? Because that's the thing is once you've done that, once you've fired that bullet, uh, you're all out. You know, it's like there's no more like, well, maybe we could chase a guy in the offseason. Maybe we could see about Sonny Gray or whoever. It's like, well, it's Matt Moore or nothing. And the finality of that, more than I think anything else, just the finality of this is the guy and if it doesn't work, we're hosed is uh, – is what made me nervous. Yeah, I think that's the risk in all trades, but any any of these big moves. You know, Jeff Samarja looks like it's going to alternate between you know a, a a pie or a bomb hidden within the cake at times, or a delicious slice of cake at other times. Uh, it's just the risk. I, yeah. I feel like I hear what you're saying, yeah, but I, I've been for the I've been for the Matt Moore move very much. He's He's definitely there, and nearly no hitting the Dodgers oh, in yeah. Dodger Stadium. That's probably about as close as being true giant for life as you can possibly get without hitting that walk-off home run or, yeah. <laughs> or and, throwing the actual and, no hitter. And you know the way. Obviously, I would have preferred more than anything to see the no hitter come to fruition. But it—that's a chapter. Like what happened. Corey Seager. Corey Seager has been a Dodger for a year, and he is already, like, getting into my top ten most hated Dodgers. He's just, he's good, and it is unfair how good he is, because it wasn't like, oh, the Dodgers sucked for a while and got a high pick, or, oh, the Dodgers spent a bunch of money. It's like they were doing all their usual stuff that the new Dodgers do, and then they also just developed this, like, relatively late-picked, you know, Kyle Seeger's little brother, dude, into, <laughs> you know, this world-beating shortstop at the exact right time when Brandon Crawford was about to be the best shortstop in the National League. Nope. Yeah. Sorry. Even yeah. Corey Seeger. He's even got, like, a, yeah. a junior high bully name. Goddamn yeah, Corey. That, that's the problem with these new Dodgers is they give – they are just – good Mm -hmm. that's all you can hate them for is that they're good now Puig you know his issue is he had personality so that's something you can latch on to but 
I, I ask you older Giants fans who might be listening here, which if you are, wow, thanks. Demographically, that doesn't seem to track. But if you are, great. Uh, if you're like over 50. But Puig's, Puig's attitude was, he was never, it wasn't Paul LaDuca, you know, shitting on the Giants whenever yeah. he had an opportunity to. It's it's not one of those things. Uh, so this is, um, this is different. This is just, I'm so good. That's yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. So good that Brandon Crawford is now irrelevant. Uh, he's that, that's bad. Basically, just turned Brandon Crawford <laughs> into a permanent afterthought. It's hard that's to admit. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it is. It is frustrating. Um, and I think because Corey Seager is hard to hate, I hate him even more. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's, it's the Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, kind of but he's not. Yeah. Kershaw is like he's like a Mike Trout talent. He's generational. Like. Hating Kershaw, Seager like, might be. Yeah. He might. I don't know. I, it's going to take more than that. Like he, that, that's. Oh God. It's, it's kind of. I'm saying it's not point. impossible. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. yeah. I know. Also, the other thing is what what I feel like Kershaw is easy to hate, but it's like a given hit. Hate. Oh, he's the best player on the team, and he's a Dodger, so you should hate him by default. Right. But what? There's so many things that make him likable. He is, you know, he is an equal opportunity dominant ace. Doesn't matter who he's facing. Uh, in the playoffs, it's a different story, obviously. Yes. But it's not like Clayton Kershaw. If if uh, the Dodgers are down and out one year, and you know the Dodgers need to beat the Rockies one time for the Giants to get into the playoffs, and Clayton Kershaw is pitching. Clayton Kershaw doesn't care who he's facing. He's gonna pitch. He's going to throw a shutout if he wants to on that yeah. night. No, he... also, also, he seems like he's in on the joke. He knows he's a square dude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a big dork. He's kind of, you know, it, it's not a perfect comparison, but in a way he reminds me a little bit of Steph Curry, of like Steph has this sort of conscious uncoolness that's like, all right, I'm a little corny. Like, you all made those jokes about the shoes, so I'm just going to embrace that because I'm also the greatest in the world. And Kershaw's kind of the same way. Obviously, it's it's very different for a lot of reasons, but but the same. I, I get kind of the same vibe. Yeah. So I know some people might have been turned off to us talking so much about the Dodgers. Let's talk about what the Giants did. Yeah. We're not going to recap every game. Like, go blow by blow here because, you know, I, I think it's – who wants to do that? Yeah. Uh, the Braves series was one of those uniquely frustrating ones where, you know, they win two out of three games. They score 20 runs combined in the two games they win and one game, one run in the game they lose. Like, and, yeah. and they got, they got beat by Mike. Matt Kim. Yeah. Matt. Oh God. <laughs> so they could score runs off of Mike Fultanowicz, which is just a, I mean, Actually, if you asked me who shut down the Giants this week, I'd probably say Mike Fultanowicz because <laughs> that's exactly the kind of who guy who does that. But Matt Kemp, come on, man. Giants killer, Matt Kemp. Uh, it's just unbearable. Like, he's he has an on-base percentage under 300. Like, he's only in the outfield because someone has to be, like... I want to be able to be like, oh man, Matt Kemp, he, was, he looked so good and now his career is basically over. What a sad story. Uh, you know, I want to be able to give him like that condescending kind of, ah, you used to be something, buddy, pat on the head. Uh, and then he's destroying the Giants still. I'm like, well, no, actually, screw you, Matt. <laughs> uh, and, and the Giants, you know, probably needed to sweep that series. They should have if they are, 
I guess it's you shouldn't I shouldn't put these kind of ridiculous labels on them, but that's a series they should have swept. And that goes on the heels of uh, the Giants rolling into Dodger Stadium, probably needing to win that series. I mean, I think the talk was uh, this is the biggest series of the year. The Giants have to show up. they got to prove that they're in this. Yeah. And the first two games of the series, the Dodgers – the Dodgers were like they got out of bed and they like stepped on the Giants' necks. Oh, they whooped And they're on. like, oh, they're like, oh, what happened? Was someone here? Well, I, I felt something on my toe, and and that's it. You know, I am gonna I am gonna be a little more optimistic than you, Brian, which isn't hard, I know, but um, <laughs> they they definitely it would have been nice for them to win or sweep that series, but it wasn't it was not some sort of total drubbing. They they were competitive. They lost those games, the two games they lost. They lost them like a normal baseball team loses games, not like the July and August Giants have been losing games. It was not that sort of, you know, random reflex of a corpse thing we were talking about earlier. Well, I mean, you go in and you've got your top three starters, and and they proceed to just not be impressed by Madison Bumgarner. You know, Johnny Cueto pitches a great game, obviously. And they couldn't score off a of Rich Hill. And they couldn't score off a of Rich which is not that surprising, yeah. really. That was that storyline was all set up. Yeah. Rich Hill, Rich Hill mysteriously is unable to start well, not mysteriously, but, you know, humor, you know, can't start for the Dodgers right after they acquire him. And, oh, by the way, they just figure out in time how to get him to start. I mean, it's all set up perfectly. Rich Hill's been a fantastic pitcher for, I guess he's had, like, 15 starts yeah. but he's been like one of the best in baseball in those 15 starts and it just all set up for yeah. that and then you know it took Bat Moore almost throwing a no hitter to really <laughs> stifle the Giants because against Ross Stripling they didn't look you know it wasn't that easy it was 4 yeah. nothing, but it, it really was uh, tough to get those four runs um, Yeah, but you know you kind of, it's just one of those things you roll into town and you know you've got to beat You've got to be competitive against a division. People offend, like, right off the bat, you're not. Like, game one, you're just not. Um, and so it was interesting to watch sort of the Bay Area media shift the narrative after that because, you know, the Giants didn't do well in that series. Then they didn't sweep the Braves. And then they lose the first game against the Diamondbacks. Um, and then today suddenly became a must-win game was what I saw, I think, at least I saw Hank Schulman saying that, was that today was suddenly a must-win game. And so it's just like, or like the biggest game of the ser- the season. This was the biggest game of the season. Like, didn't they just have the biggest series of the season? And they've botched that? Now it's now it's like, so now it's, what's left? The biggest inning of the season? The biggest, uh, the biggest third of an inning of the season? Well, you know, the biggest at-bat? It's going it, to be it's that. It's kind of like a record, right? Like, every yeah. every record is the biggest, the best ever until someone breaks it. So every series <laughs> is the biggest series of the season until the next one. Well, that that's a perfect segue into the next bit here. And we're going to now bring in uh, the, the next best guest, the best guest we've ever had tonight. We, we had Ruben start the show now we're going to segue in and bring in wendy ah damn back to sacramento with me <laughs> oh, wendy can you hear us i can wendy hello okay <laughs> how are you i'm uh the dodgers just went ahead because andrew tolls just hit a grand slam and i'm mother fucker yep Welcome to the show, Wendy. Oh. That turned out very well. 
literally like just hit a ground flat. <laughs> Uh, so that, uh, this is the first, uh, indication that Wendy's segment on the show has a bit of a pall hanging over it. <laughs> so, um, I thought it was going to be my questioning, but it is not. So the Giants will be, <laughs> they'll be a, uh, a game and a half back. <laughs> um, although they still course field and they're going to change the balls over now for the rest of the game. Um, so who knows? Anyway, Wendy, welcome to the show. Welcome to the McCovey Chronicast. Welcome back. Um, thank you. It's I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> yeah, got off to a, rock, a rocky start, but we can <laughs> literally we can, yes, we can bring it out of that dive. So we were talking about the Giants' week that was, but uh, I I kind of saved the best uh, for last, and that was today's win uh, against the Diamondbacks. Uh, because I'd say it featured the most Giants like the Giants we thought we knew, the ones we recognized, that they've had maybe in the second half, with both the defense and the offense and the pitching all kind of clicking at the same time. It was a nice overall win, and uh, Grant stole this for his recap today, but it had my favorite play of the season where Shelby Miller had to run to first on a missed, on a drop third strike, and Buster Posey threw him out. I don't know if you saw that, but it was a great play. You should go and watch it. Was that at the beginning of the game? Because I did miss the beginning of the game. It was near the beginning. It was in the first four innings. Yeah, it was, well, it, uh, yeah, it was like Shelby Miller's first at bat. Oh, so. yes. Or might have been, yeah, yes, I did. So. Yes, and that had to be reviewed, and they lost the review. Yes. Yeah. Because Brandon Bell does that thing where it looks like he's not on the bag, but I feel like everyone should know by now, he's been doing it for five years, that his foot is on the bag. <laughs> um... Yeah, why? Why does he do that? I mean, I know that's his thing, but it Be- seems like it, it it bites him kind of a fair bit. I know it's just the way he's kind of developed his game, but it just kind of irks me. I uh, I think there's two reasons for it, but it sounds like Ruben has. Oh, I I remember him actually blogging about it at one point where he felt like he had gotten into a a rhythm where it got him that extra couple inches of reach on close plays and umps give him the benefit of the doubt more often than not. Like in his mind, and I don't know if this holds up, uh, but it seems like he would know that the, it works out more often than it doesn't. Okay. I would say the other part of it is it, uh, might protect him from a, an ankle or foot injury Oh yeah. Uh, from another runner. Also, because of that benefit of the doubt, I think if you force the umpire to make a panic decision, maybe it's that more often than not, he's just going to say he's out. And I actually think that now that we're in a replay era, which I kind of hope actually goes away just because it's so bad, badly implemented. But now that we're in a replay era, I think that just helps him even more. Okay, I take it back then. <laughs> you convinced me. We did it. But I, I mean, I get it, right? When he did that, when he was first up, everyone was like, that's going to bite him in the butt one day. And it really hasn't. Well, I, mean, I mean, it has It has a few times. I mean, there's definitely been a few times. I don't remember exactly when, exactly what game or when, where he came off the bag. You know, replay only works if it's conclusive. So, yeah, you know, it's yeah. a fast runner. But I, I can definitely remember um, a few times where he, you know, 
I don't know if it was if it was a swing in the game or if it ultimately mattered to the outcome. Um, but well, you know. My biggest Brandon Belt defensive memory will probably always be watching him in game two of the NLDS uh, 2012 tumble into the visitor's dugout, yes. catching a foul ball, because I thought he died. Yes. <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember in um, – it was either game one or game two of the 2010 – uh, NLDS against the Braves um, that that Pablo Sandoval and Buster Posey collided on a, yes. like a foul pop-up and I thought one or both of them had died. Wait, I was at well, that was game that was game two. Was it game two? I was at both of the games. And I, yeah, I was at game two. <laughs> and, and they ended up, Ramon Ramirez gave it up um, to Rick and Keel. Yes. Right? It, the, oh, how could you We'll never forget. Yeah. TBS re- shows that replay to this day. Um, <laughs> I don't watch TBS. Why would anybody? I mean, is there any reason to watch the Braves now? Well, I mean, they show they have a Sunday game of the week now. That's not just the Braves. Okay. Plus, uh, that way you get to catch noted slugger Matt Kemp doing his thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suppose that's right. Uh, but I, so I went to two really really hard to watch like painful game twos in different ways and uh and so <laughs> well the second I, one Brian, whichever one that was was the one when you and i met afterward right I, first time well, we met in person yes. was after a postseason game was it yes they had- it had to yeah because then we saw each other again at the social media night okay. that brandon belt lost that game <laughs> Yeah, mirror. Now I remember that's my second Brandon Belt memory. Was that 2012 or 20? The social media game was our second meeting. No, I know. That was 2013. So it had to be 2012, yeah. Is that the Red Series or? The Red Series, yeah. So game two, after they lost game two? Yeah, yeah. That was so painful. Yeah, Matt Cain got his brains beat in, and then uh, Matt Latos came in in relief, which, my God. Uh, that happened. Wait, didn't Matt Cain get his brains beat in in the first game? In the first game, excuse me. Yes. Okay. Someone got their brains beat in. So. Yeah. I love uh, how we're piecing uh, together all these old Giants games, like from oral tradition. From playoffs, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Baseball know, reference is a thing. It's more fun yeah. this way. Uh, <laughs> Remember that loss in the postseason in 2010, and then they came back. Remember that terrible game when we thought, "Oh my God!" You know, <laughs> sure, Cubs fans would be just dying to listen to this podcast. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I was thinking about that today a little bit with regards to my saying that that was my favorite play of the years. I, I think the uh, Posey throwing out Shelby Miller at first. It was first. First of all, in terms of what I was saying before that it was the most Giants like game of the second half it was like a sign of life that there was hustle not because I'm generically attached to the idea of hustle as like that proves your worth as a baseball player but the Giants have looked even in their wins like just very mechanical and very unexciting and I, I even mentioned uh, on Tuesday night that Buster Posey, whenever they cut to him, it looks like he's, like, belching some of the Subway sandwich he ate five minutes earlier. Like, every time he looks like he's got, you know, indigestion or something. It just the Giants don't look 
they don't look happy. That's it. They just don't look happy. They're missing a Michael Morse type guy in there. I don't know. Gorky Hernandez made a great catch though at the wall, slammed in there. And you know, with between Span and Pagan, how long has it been since we've seen and Blanco playing badly? How how long has it been since we've seen some great defensive plays by the outfielders? Um, you know, when Pence makes them, he gets hurt. I think it was so, uh, Mac Williamson who was making great. And Mac Williamson, yeah, and he was getting yeah, hurt. Yeah, until he, he got, got hurt. Yeah. So and Matt, but Mac Williamson, that's a great point. Mac Williamson also that kind of spark of life. In fact, all those new guys that they had to rely on. Uh, towards the end of the first half, was that was kind of its own little spark, right? Because these are all fringy guys, replacement level players, and they were they were in some ways just their presence was carrying the team because the stars or the injured people weren't looking down the bench going like, oh, it's just us. I've got to do it, and I'm sore. You know, Ramiro Pena is coming in to, to deliver. Grant Green somehow gets a big hit. And, I don't know, this death, death spiral has been sorely lacking in any of those even minor heroes. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you go back and look at how they were able to put together, you know, May and June, and and not just winning months, but kind of dominant months and long winning streaks with, um, you know, Pence out, and then, you know, panic went down and Duffy went down and you're like, and then you just try and think back and you're like, what? Like how did, I mean, the pitching was really good. Um, at least the starting pitching kind of really held together those two months, but you know, they were in the first half, they had like the second best offense in the national league or third best offense in the national league after the Cubs and the Cardinals. And you're like, what? Like how did, yeah, Ramiro I mean, they went, they went. Was it Ramiro Pena? Like, was it Ruben Tejada? <laughs> like, I don't even remember. But they just seemed to, like, you know, have clutch hits and win games and, you know, kind of roll along the way they do when they have winning seasons. And then it just, like, poof. It was. And just like that. Just, yeah, that, and it makes it's a great fun. contrast because the, the second half Giants, right out of the break, found every possible way to lose. They weren't, like, they weren't bad in an identifiable like, oh, you know, they can't pitch way or, oh, they can't hit or, or anything or even like bullpen collapse necessarily. It was every well, single thing. It was like every any any given day, whatever needed to go wrong did. Uh, it was like, well, the walk off was really, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was out of the country on on a very different time zone and I don't even remember what you know, the hours were. And I, you know, I had jet lag my first few days and I wasn't sleeping very well. And so I found myself up and I was like, oh, well, let me see what's happening in the Giants game. So, you know, <laughs> so I, I, I looked on MLB and I saw that it was, you know, the ninth. And so I plugged Dave and John into my ears, you know, and I was like, it's just, just like, it's like, we're, you just wake up your family and you're like, we're not going back. We're going to witness protection. I mean, it's like, walk off box I was just like well now I can't go back to sleep like what the hell was that oh. so as soon as we brought you on the show the Dodgers hit a grand slam as soon as you listened to the Giants game right. in another country it was a balk off yeah. uh, there's something there uh, oops. Oops. oops let's get off that page <laughs> oh my goodness that was a Pepsi ad what was that <laughs> that go away uh, so the yeah, I mean, we can point. I think it's all been dissected to death, or people just wondering why. I mean, but you know, Brandon Belt. A couple of things that I intentionally tested to see if I, 
to see, you know, the Giants are great. Their offense is awesome. They haven't done their stupid butt-ass Giants routine this year. Uh, Brandon Belt hasn't gone on any sustained slumps like he does every year. He kind of did. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I said all these things at the break, and I'm like, you know what? It shouldn't matter what I say, but my brain just, you know, just look at the objective facts compared to what I tend to think they do or what they've been doing, and they're doing all these things at the same exact time. But another thing I feel is, worth talking about, maybe not right now, because we have Wendy here, and maybe she doesn't want to talk about Buster Posey in this way, but Buster Posey is probably not, he's probably not an offensive force who's going to carry a team. We know he's been able to, but isn't this closer to whatever, what they thought Buster Posey was going to be when he was scouted, and by necessity, he has essentially been their best offensive player over the years, and now time, age, injury, whatever it is, my point is, I think the Giants probably need to keep looking at offense going forward in free agency, whatever it is, because they, they're they not going to ever get a Giancarlo Stanton, obviously, but certainly the lack of power, uh, even accidental power, uh, is, is a bit of a problem. It would have stemmed some of this slump, I feel like, from the entire team. Um... Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Posey is dealing, you know, with a back issue. I don't, I think you know, he's had some back tightness and I think he's, he's dealing with it and playing through it. Um, that's just the sense I have from, you know, talking to the beat writers and whatnot. Um, so I don't know that I'm willing to give up on the idea of, you know, Posey, being an offensive force, but that's number one. And number two, I mean, so for example, like he's played first base like so little this year, like yeah. way less than I anticipated and way less than he has in prior years. Now, part of that was because um, Belt was knocking the sock off the ball in the first, in the first half. He, he was by far their best offensive player. And then when Pence goes down, if you if you move Belt, if you take if you move Posey to first and then Belt doesn't play, that isn't great. And if you move Pose, uh, Belt to left and move the outfield around with Pence out, like I mean the the defense could be even more of a dud than it already is in the outfield. Um, so you know that that's kind of a surprise to me. So um, you know I don't I don't I mean they've given Belt the long term you know, the long-term deal. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. It'd be kind of interesting to ask, you know, when the season's over or, or when they're, you know, not every game is just like so tense, kind of what, what Bochy, you know, was kind of thinking about that. Um, so, I, you know, and so he's been behind the plate a lot. And, um, you know, Andrew Brown was okay in the first half. He's, he's kind of not been great at the plate in the second half and where every game they, you know, once they got into the losing streak, it's like, it's kind of panic time. Right. And so you have not Joe, but you know, you have to, you have to kind of play Posey more than you want to. Anyway, I, I'm not, I'm not willing to give up on that. But but in, but in any event, I mean, is there, is there really going to be, I mean, is there a guy, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's Bryce Harper who, you know, hasn't had such a great year, but, um, it's it's just it's 
well, it's very, very hard to convince an offensive player to, to come, you know, to, to play at AT&T Park, um, yeah. who is in their prime. And, uh, but, you know, but maybe, you know, you, you need to look at more, you know, gap type hitters. I mean, you, you or I, I don't know who it is, but I mean, the idea that you're going to get someone who's going to hit 40 home runs playing in that ballpark, it's just not going to happen. Well, I'm saying 30. They, they haven't had one who's hit 30 since 2004, you know. So, you know, Buster Posey, I think what I was getting at is like, Buster Posey thought, well, if he keeps going, maybe he'll be that 30 home run guy. But he was never projected to be. So that's one thing. Brandon Belt's not going to be. I think we are all in agreement at this point. He is who he is, which is an excellent offensive player. Uh, and I don't know. I'm, the Giants have, in my opinion, and but we're all in consensus here. They have a balanced, really good lineup. And, and I would just say if you had another power guy in there, you know, Pagan's leaving. So left field is suddenly open, but like you said, who is that? Who fits that role? Who would come, etc.? You know, it, there's opportunity, if not next year, then soon to possibly add that. And now Posey is, you know, Posey is an excellent player, and he's got a power threat behind him or in front of him. And maybe a couple of these one nothing games or two to one games swing in the Giants' favor a little bit differently. Now, I'm saying all that as they're right in the thick of a playoff hunt, but these the Giants have in the last three seasons, and by virtue of the Brewers collapsing worse than they did, you know, the last three seasons, the Giants have really faded, and I wonder if a consistent power threat uh, might stem that tide a little bit. Because it's a very curious thing. It's kind of suspicious. Three years in a row, they've had these big stretches of losing. I don't think that there's necessarily a connection there. I mean, having a big power threat, like we've talked about, having a big power threat at at t is always going to be hard. Um, I think, you know, Mac Williamson is a guy who, if he can stay healthy, should flashes of that. Chris Shaw, uh, if they can transition him into the outfield, uh, could certainly be that guy if he can adapt to the majors. Um I think the interesting thing is how this particular offensive struggle, because in their last, you know, you could talk about the late season fades in the last couple of years, but they didn't have the same sort of total dearth of power. You know, even in uh, 2014, 2015, they had guys showing up and smacking dingers at a reasonable to ATT pace. Offense is up around the league. Home runs specifically are up around the league. And there's been discussion of the juiced ball, right? The like that they might have quietly juiced the baseball up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder if the Giants have in the last few years, you know, built their team around this, um, you know, first to third contact offense, um, something that has very much worked out for them. Uh, and then all of a sudden, in this slightly different but significant, like slight but significant differences of this offensive environment, all of a sudden this isn't the winning plan it used to be. Like that they suddenly might have to pivot uh, and look for guys who can park one because everyone else suddenly, you know, they're they're 20 home run hitters or 25 home run hitters to, to put it that way. They're getting a few, a few dingers here, a few dingers there, a little more carry. And AT&T Park isn't quite now the pitcher's park that they banked on it being, banked it to be. Sure. 
I, I can see that. I, I mean, there's still the there's, it's probably a confluence of all yeah. the 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 issues. You know, the Giants bullpen is not the best. The back of the rotation is not the best. But and the Giants hitters have either been either they are singles and maybe doubles hitters, or the ones who can hit it harder have been hurt. And so maybe it is all those things. It's just uh, when you clump this much losing together. You know, it, there's there isn't one explanation. It is a series of things. Well, so, right. The other problem. That's I mean, right, Yep. I mean, the another problem is if I mean, I you know, I the I think the offense is is you know, Bochy likes to say, well, you keep the line moving. Well, it when you have you know, essentially nobody who steals. You know, you've got guys who know how to run. Like Panic is really good at going from first to third. You know, guys who know how to run. They know Crawford is another one. Not extremely fast. Isn't going to steal bases, but knows how to take an extra base. You know, when the opportunity arises. But nevertheless, it just feels like so many innings. It's first and second, no outs, or first and second, one out, and they just like they can't figure out how to score. Um, you know, Bochi doesn't like to bunt, which I think overall, you know, I agree, don't give out outs, give up outs, but he he's he's incredibly you know wedded to that stretch. So if you if if you if you're going to get singles and, you know, the occasion, you know, double singles and doubles and the occasional triple and home run, you're not going to steal bases. I mean, Eduardo Nunez, I tweeted the other day like like, are there even professional catchers in the American League? How was this guy leading the American League in steals? I mean, he's looked horrendous trying to steal bases since coming to the Giants. Like, he doesn't get good, you know, he doesn't take good leads. He doesn't get a good jump. He doesn't slide. You know, it's like maybe nobody steals in the American League and that's how he was leading. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Or the, the twins were always down 10 to 1 and, and it was not really that much of a contest. They weren't really checking him too much. Maybe. maybe <laughs> I mean, yes, but it's just so, um, it, it, you know, you, anyway, I mean, you know, if you, if you've got guys, you know, if you've got guys rolling, um, you know, and can string more than just a bunch of, you know, singles together, you know, without home runs and then you've got an offense but if you're if you if you don't have speed if you're not going to steal if you're not occasionally you know use the hit and run the giants are a contact team uh i feel like bochi doesn't doesn't use the hit and run nearly as much as as he could or should um I, and when he does use it like they get burned because you know that's just the way it goes um and so I agree. I mean, I think I think they have to do something. I, I don't know what it is, but I don't. I mean, unless you trade for a bopper, and I don't know who that would be. I mean, you're not going to get someone who's a bopper to to sign there. I mean, unless, you know, gonna, global warming comes and you know, yeah. creates a heat shield over AT and T Park, and in which case, that's not far off. That's probably what's going to happen. Uh, thank you. <laughs> the uh, the other part is. Uh, I mean, well, there's like Jose Bautista is going to be a free agent, although I strongly doubt he, and he'd be 37, and I doubt he'd want to come over to AT&T, and he's injury prone. They can, uh, there's they can trade Matt Cain for him, finally. There we go. <laughs> well, Tim Lincecum, that was the, that was the deal, yeah, Tim Lincecum. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the Angels could probably get him, I guess. Oh, uh, but, the, but I guess the other part is, to go back to Ruben's 
thought about maybe the bowls have been juiced a little bit here. You know, I feel like that suddenly now, even though it goes against the Giants' organizational or at least major league strategy in terms of how they assembled their roster, I feel like it starts to play back towards Sabian's strengths again of finding the Jose Cruz Juniors of the world or, you know, guys who were good two years ago with some pop. Suddenly now, if the ball's juiced, suddenly now that's a possibility again. And even getting, even if we're talking about not one 30 home run hitter, maybe a couple of 20 home run hitters, you know, Hunter Pence is probably going to miss a good chunk of the season every year now. That seems probably, that feels more correct than incorrect. He would be a guy, Posey 20, maybe Brandon Crawford is now a 20 home run guy, but let's assume he's kind of not. You know, outside of those guys, Belt's not going to do it. Um, can you sustain all that with more doubles? Uh, sure, but if you could get another 20 home run guy in there, maybe that softens the load or, or softens it a little bit or just someone with little pop. Uh, so I really want Matt Williamson to come back. Guys. Yes. That's all I'm, I, really I'm trying to say. Really, you know, at the time, his injury didn't get to me that much because it didn't seem that bad. And also, it seemed like they might have to send him down for roster crunch anyway. But now I'm like, God damn, I really want Mac Williamson on this team again. He was looking so good. <laughs> and, you know, I want to say credit to Angel Pagan because if if Williamson is up and playing uh, or was playing well and didn't get hurt, I mean, I, I would have thought that Pagan's back in center field by now. Or something weird would have had – there would have been a crunch because Angel Pagan's made it very difficult to bench him. Um, and I feel like the Giants – are not going to want to tick off Denard Span, you know, 75% of the way through the first year of their deal with him. Um, so I think it would have created a problem, but it would have been one that would have been hard to ignore with Williamson on the bench and the Giants losing 2-1 to one or whatever it is. Um, but, I mean, for example, Connor Gillespie, he's a great – he suddenly has turned into a, a solid pinch-hitting guy, and he's someone who can occasionally lay into one. But beyond that, <laughs> like in terms of the bench, I mean, maybe Adrianza is going to be that guy. But, you know, for as much as the Giants have touted him, he hasn't really played too much uh, since he's been back. So there's, there's a lot of weird things up in the air here. And when you're losing, it's, it's, it's tough to kind of be patient. Um, so enough of that depressing thought. Let's talk about the Cubs series coming up. <laughs> uh, Wendy, I don't know. You cover more of all of baseball than uh, than I read about because I try to keep up. But you know, there's so many teams, so much going on. Uh, the Cubs are—they're winning the World Series this year, right? Basically. Well, I'm I, I'm actually writing a sto- uh, my column for Sporting News right now, and I the column is on like. Okay, I'm not I'm not pumping the brakes, but like, you know, it's not all Skittles and puppies, you know, for the Cubs. Like it's <laughs> it's it's going to be a challenge for them. It, it, they're not going to steamroll. They're not going to I mean, I don't know, maybe they'll sweep every series, but I don't I um you know, there are some there are some things that can trip them up. So, um uh not to give away the entire column, but you know, essentially they've got you know, Pedro Strop and, and, and Hector Rondon are both on the DL, and that has made their bullpen a little um, loosey-goosey, as A-Rod, like, you know, once said. Um, and they, 
you know, they, they piled up this like incredible Pythagorean record, you know, their run differential is enormous, but the great majority of their blowout games, you know, came against um, teams that should have been blown out. Now they, you know, they took advantage and like really blew out a lot of teams, um, but they don't have a winning record in, in, well, maybe after tonight, I guess they won. After tonight, they'll be, let's see, 18 and 19 in one-run games. So, you know, not not a not a super great record in one-run games. Um, and, um, you know, and then Arietta is a little bit of a, I mean, I think a lot of teams would love even this version of Jake Arietta as their number one, but he's not last year's Jake Arietta. And even yeah, when he yeah. was last year's Jake Arietta, they still got swept by the Mets. So, um, <laughs> you know, I mean... The, the the problem and the opportunity for every team is that, you know, the playoffs in baseball are just incredibly short, even a seven game series for, um, you know, for, quote, the best team to, uh, you know, to to come to the fore. I mean, it, it may be that the best team wins the championship, but it's not. It's not necessarily so as, you know, I mean, we can argue about whether the Giants were the best team in any of those years. I mean, they didn't have the best record um, over 162 in 10, 12, or 14. Um, in 2003, they went wire to wire and then crapped the bed, you know, in the, in the, first, in the first series. So, um, you know, the Rangers, I mean, I think the Nationals are going to be dangerous with, with Scherzer. I think... Um, I think that the, I mean, I think the Nationals are the ones that probably pose the greatest threat um, to the Cubs. But you know, it's 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 so hard to know who the Cubs are going to play because there's like six teams vying for. I mean, there literally are. It's it's if if you count the Dodgers and the Giants who are essentially fighting for two, you know, either either to be in the wild court, you know, or to have the division. So those two, and then the Cardinals, Pirates, Mets, and Marlins. Um, you know, and those are kind of very different teams and the Cubs will match up better against against some of those teams and others and they will play the wild card winner in the first round unless they just start, you know, unless somehow the Nationals catch them for the best record, which is <laughs> doubtful. So, um, you know, I mean, I I think it'll be very interesting. I think, are they are they well situated? Yes. Are they better situated this year than they were last year? Absolutely. Um, but, I'm, you know, we'll see. I mean, they're a little iffy at the back end of the rotation before you get to Chapman. And, um, and, and Kyle Hendricks is their best pitcher. So, yeah, you that's know. Injured. Yeah, it's just weird. So we'll see. I mean, you know, I'm a Giants fan and I, you know, I'd like to see them win but you know if the Giants are either not going to make the postseason or not going to win it all you know I think it would I think it would be nice if the Cubs you know good for the Cubs to win good for the Rangers those would be two good stories um you know the Blue Jays so I think there's a lot of really interesting storylines once we get to the postseason I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced that the, the Cubs are just going to roll well, they're going to so probably my, roll this weekend, but go ahead. <laughs> my thought on the Cubs is that I was listening to a Cubs-Dodgers game last week, and they had one uh, first inning, one to nothing lead, runners on first and second. Uh, Julio Arias, struggling rookie pitcher, had not recorded an out yet. 
and they bunted with their cleanup hitter, Ben Zobrist. Uh, so based entirely on that, I think that they're going to lose in the playoffs when Joe Madden, like, tries to do a five-man infield or something, just, like, outsmarts himself and ends up with his pitcher, like, jumping around on one foot. I don't trust Joe Madden in the postseason. Yeah. Um, Madden was Ma- Madden was the manager when the Rays played the Phillies, right? Yeah. In, in 2008. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's an excellent point. I mean, uh, they also kicked the ball around real good in the yeah. eighth inning when it was 0-0 on the Sunday game. So, um, yeah, I mean... So what you're saying is is that their fatal flaw could be their basically wire-to-wire success, not having to face any real tough situations. Their hubris. Yes. Which is probably what did end the Giants in 2003. Everything was so easy for them that when they got a little pressure applied, it all kind of went to crap. Uh, Well, it was that and Sidney Ponson. Right. Right. It's an interesting thing about that was Cindy Ponson, bad at AT&T Park, great on the road for the Giants. You know, that's basically anecdotal statistics. And and, and for some reason, which, by the way, that's what most baseball uh, managers rely on. And for some reason, they didn't switch it up there. Kind of, The playoffs kind of makes all the strictures of the old-timey rules really set into place. You know, Levon Hernandez had to start in 2002 because he was the ace. But Kirk Reeder was better. <laughs> and, and the Angels had more left-handed hitters and switch hitters who weren't as good from the right side. But <laughs> we're going to go with Levon Hernandez. He doesn't strike anybody out. What, in yeah. Game 7? Yeah. yeah, in Game 7. God. You know, because he's the ace. So, you know, it's like it kind of – there's kind of this weird conventional wisdom that like a fog – but I like that idea that, like, Joe Madden, it makes him, the the fog makes him extra maddening. Extra maddening. Yeah, it makes him, yeah. yeah so this, he, yeah. Like, this, this came up at the uh, the pitch talks, the pitch talks the other night, um, on Monday night, and I was on a panel with, with Grant and Eno Saras and Dave Cameron from Fangraphs, and then uh, Jonah Carey was the, was the, the moderator for the panel, and, um, I don't remember if it was Jonah's question or comment to the panel or someone asked from the audience, um, you know, essentially, like, why, you know, why is Bruce Boshi so successful in, in the postseason? Like, wh- why does it, why does it work? Um, and, you know, I, my point, you know, I think, I think most of the panelists agreed with um, was that, you know, he understands that there's a difference, first of all, I said, a lot of managers are really not good at their job, number one. And over the course of 162, talent is going to win out, um, you know, for the most part. I mean, there's been all these studies about how you quantify the manager, but for the most part, you know, it's not, we all pull our hair out of our heads sometimes, but, you know, for the most part, it's, it's not going to make that much of a difference. But in the playoffs, it makes a huge difference. And that the difference is, is that Bochi plays every game in the postseason as if it's game seven. Most managers, number one, don't even differ their approach, much less approach every game like it's, you know, the most important game of the year. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see, you know, we'll see. be very interesting to see Dusty back in the postseason. 
It's going to be very, very interesting to see, um, you know, how Madden kind of handles. I mean, I I don't know. I'd have to look back at the box scores and remind myself, but I don't know if either one of you remember, were there any particular, like, moves that Madden made? I mean, my recollection was that the Nets just steamrolled the Cubs, and it wasn't, like, a matter of strategy or whatnot. That's Um, exactly what happened. The Nets just steamrolled them. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, those yeah, Daniel slugging Murphy, bags. Daniel Murphy was hitting like 70 home runs a yeah. game. Yeah. 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 Right, that was that was, that postseason was when Daniel Murphy began, began ascending into the heavens on wings of fire, and he still hasn't come down. Um, yeah, Joe Madden has a really good reputation, but I honestly wonder how much of that is just because of his willingness to do, thing, do different things, which is obviously a strength that a lot of managers don't have, like I'm not saying Joe Madden is necessarily bad manager. I just think that his reputation is a bit overblown. And if anything, he might, he likes to manage. He likes to do things. And sometimes you, you don't need to do a thing. I, yeah, I, I think it comes down to pitching changes in the, in the postseason more than anything. And having that planned out, it seems to be, just listening to him talk, that seems to be where Bochi excels. I don't know how that compares to other managers. I don't know what his being a catcher has, any, if that has anything to do with it. But, you know, one of the things he's talked about before is, you know, blowing it against the Yankees when the Padres had a, I think they had a, a lead in game one, and he he either he went against his gut or he didn't trust something that he regretted immediately because it blew up in, in the in the the Padres lost the game and they got swept, obviously. But, you know, Bochi took his takeaway from that was like, I'm going to trust my gut or go with whatever it is instead of relying on the hot hand or whatever it is. But I feel like it's for him, his strength is the pitching decisions. And I think if you think about the Giants, him managing in the postseason, we're not talking about Aaron Rowan leading off or whatever the heck it is. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, which that was regular season garbage, right? Like <laughs> Aaron Rowan leading off because it's left-handed pitcher is garbage, but that's what it was in the regular season. And there's that whole notion that batting order doesn't really matter anyway. So it comes down to the pitching choices. Who's when, how long am I going to ride this guy? When I when I pull him, who's in next? Three batters from now, if I don't get the three outs I want from this guy, who's going to come in? You know, basically turning it over, and you've heard Tony Larusa talk in those terms too. He's thinking three innings ahead, and and Bochy seems to be very much in that mindset. Whereas Terry Collins is like, seems like he's constantly looking over his shoulder, waiting for like a big dog to grab him or something. It's <laughs> a great image. Um, so actually, so I wanted to uh, quick. This is a program note. You may want to cut this from the podcast. I know we've gone long a bit already. Um, we have some Twitter questions, but. If we want to do as an alternative, Wendy, I would love to hear about the Pitch Talks event. I leave that up to you, Brian. Oh, if we can mix both, that'd be great. Like, pick the select Twitter question, save them for the end. Ruben, if you have to go, that's fine. Wendy, whatever. But, yeah, I want to hear about the Pitch okay. Talks. I want to hear about the Pitch Talks. <laughs> um, okay. So it was it was a packed house. It was at the Independent um, in San Francisco, which is a really, really great venue. I've been to and heard some some great music there. It's 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 intimate. It holds about I don't know probably without there were chairs and stuff, and so I think it was below capacity. But I'd say there are probably three hundred people there. Um, 
I, the first part of it, I was back in the green room talking to other people who were on the panel, but it was, it was, um, like, uh, let's see, some people from chat sports, which is like, a it's a Twitter like app. That's just only about sports. I think it's about like getting your scores and your commentary, like all, you know, in one app. Um, and I think the fine folks from chat sports kind of wrote a big check and got, uh, you know, to go on and do their thing. Um, the second, and then, the, and then there were two kind of writer panels. The first one was more, it was like the beat writer panel uh, with Baggerly, Jane Lee from MLB.com that covers the A's, Alex Pavlovich, um, and somebody else, I think. No, and then Ray Ratto, um, which was nice. hilarious. I mean, um, you know, Ray was like in his very Ray essence that night. I mean, it was like, Ray's personality on Twitter, like multiplied by 10, you know, with people drinking and, you know, a live crowd. So he kind of monopolized that panel a little bit. Um, um, and let's see, I think it was the chat sports guy kind of moderated that and kind of really wasn't able to rein him in. Hmm. But, you know, it was, it was, it was <laughs> you know, it was, um, it was an interesting discussion. Um, I can't remember. Um, I I can't remember. I can't remember much that came out of that panel. That is, it wasn't like something that I already knew from something I read or a tweet or something. Um, and I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there were things that were talked about that was like, oh, I didn't know about that, but nothing was sticking out to me. Um, there was a fair bit of talk about like the A stadium situation and, and um, kind of what might happen there. And I guess um, uh, John Fisher, who's kind of more the silent partner of the A's, you know, did this tour of a, a, a site in Oakland last week, which was referred to as the Howard terminal site, which is, which is a port of Oakland property that sits on the Bay and there was a, there was a long discussion about kind of the history of the A's getting a stadium and and whether this was a significant move and kind of that kind of thing. Um, and um, yeah, that was kind of it. The second panel, um, as I mentioned, was myself, Grant, uh, um, Eno Saris, and Dave Cameron and Jonah Carey moderated. And it was interesting. We talked about kind of the manager piece. We talked about um, we talked about. Jonah kind of led a conversation about, um, you know, a lot of teams are going to these like super duper bullpens and yet, you know, the Giants kind of went out and, you know, put all their um, money on, you know, signing, you know, two big starters. And is that, you know, why was that? Was that because kind of that was, was who available, who was available and that's how they wanted to spend their money um, was that because that was a need they really had? Like, why didn't they go out and get some bullpen arms? You know, it was kind of a, a discussion about that and a discussion about um, kind of maybe why some teams are going the bullpen route um, to shorten the game. And, you know, there's some theories about there's so much money in the game. You know, there's just there's so much money in baseball. Um, but people, there's money, and yet there's also 
kind of a growing recognition that these long-term deals for either uh, position players or pitchers, you know, hardly ever work out. And so why not throw your money at an Andrew Miller for a three or four year deal? Um, you know, even, even a top end of the market rate is, it, you know, it's, you know, you're, you still can get way more quality out of that, you know, so it's a kind of a whole conversation about which way is the league going and, you know, why the Giants, you know, were the Giants purposeful about not doing that and why was that? And um, we talked about kind of which stats kind of seem to, you know, is FIP still, you know, something people should really be looking at or, you know, are we going to be, you know, what what's going to be in five years, what's going to be the, you know, kind of pitcher wins and ERA, like what, you know, what's going to be the stats that we're going to look back and say, you know, you really shouldn't talk about that. Uh, please never mention that stat again. Um, um, Walk off box. We're not going to look at that my, stat anymore. My contribution to that was never speak of UZR again. Never, <laughs> ever speak of it again. Um, and... Um, yeah, that way. I mean, it was just, you know, it was kind of like a, uh, it was a very fan grapsy kind of thing. Like, um, oh, the, I think Jonas started off, it was kind of interesting. Jonas started off with, you know, for years, we were absolutely convinced that, you know, Jay Brigetti had some magic pixie dust, which he just like sprinkled on, you know, Matt Kane and a bunch of other people. And <laughs> if ever we couldn't explain anything statistically, the answer was always Jay Brigetti. Um, and so as he lost his touch, has our measurement, have our measurement tools gotten better? Have, you know, was it just luck over that period of time? You know, um, has the, have the ballpark factors changed? You know, the Giants are just giving up way more home runs than they used to. Why is that? So I mean, it was kind of a discussion about that. And then, um, and then there was a break. And then the last piece was... Um, uh, a conversation with John Miller uh, and Bobby Evans, uh, the Giants GM. And I guess Bobby was a little late getting there. So, so Jonah and John Miller spoke for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And I know John just told great stories. You know, it's, I don't even remember which stories he told, but it's just like Grant and Baggerly and I just look at each other, just like, we are so spoiled and so lucky that, you know, it was like what you used to get when there'd be rain delays in Miami, right? And and you would just get John just telling stories. <laughs> it's like, I don't even remember what the first question was from Jonah because it didn't matter. You know, yeah. It was just one great story told with such beautiful cadence and beautiful, you know, with his booming voice. Um, and then Bobby came in and, it, it, you know, Bobby spoke in the way he speaks when he goes on KNBR. I mean, it sounded like he was saying things, but he actually didn't say anything. You, you didn't already know, um, which is like, you know, I think what the GM is supposed to do in that in that circumstance. Um, I think it was in that panel, maybe it was in that panel when I had the sense, um, I, think, I think Bobby kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, Buster's been dealing with a bunch of things this year and he, he doesn't want to talk about them and, and, and kind of that kind of thing. Um, so, um, I, I think on the, I think Jonah came back to the question of kind of why the giants went the starting pitching route and not kind of, you know, just decided to rely kind of on the young kids. Um, 
for the bullpen? And I, you know, Bobby's answer was, well, we felt like we had a lot of good kids that we could rely on for the bullpen and really not that many options. So it's not a matter of the league is zigging and we're zagging. You know, we needed, you know, not having quality starting pitching really hurt us last year. Um, and so that's, you know, that's basically why they went out and, you know, did what they did in the off season. Um, and then, I mean, really John, John really took up even more, a lot of the space in that time. I mean, you know, Bobby talked a little bit of, you know, kind of, again, the kinds of stuff that you'd hear on KBR, but it was really nothing, nothing earth shattering, but it was, it was, a, it was a raucous crowd. People, it was very lively. Um, it started right around eight. It went till maybe almost 11. Um, other folks who had, like Dave Cameron from Fangraphs has done, I think, almost all of the pitch talks so far, the ones that have been in the U.S. He said it was the best one he's done. You know, it, was a, it was a knowledgeable crowd. Um, you know, Grant was being Grant. He was funny and um, insightful. It was, it was just a good mix of... Uh, panels that folks got along together um, and the crowd and you know, it, was, it was it was a super fun event I was very I was delighted I was asked to participate and I was glad that I was there did you get bigger laughs than Grant or did he have the better job? Well, I, I, I got I got a large so so on the question of and this there there's video um, um, it wasn't chat sports but one of these other so, somebody associated with like putting on the event posted a video of, of everything but the Miller Evans panel on on their Facebook page, and I can send you a link. I posted it on my Facebook page like the next day, and so people, I can send it to you. And yeah, we'll put it on the we'll put it on it, the page. Yeah, for people, the, people can watch it. Right, um, great. But when we were on the question of so the question came, I think it came from the audience about Bochi. What makes him so successful? So. So Eno starts, and Eno's talking about, Eno says, you know, the thing, one of the things that really makes Bochy so successful is that he just, he knows the rules. I mean, there was this game once that I was watching. There was, there was a game once I watched where Don Mattingly, like, you know, went out to the mound, and, and, you know, everyone's like, everyone knows what he's talking about. Eno's making it sound like, oh, there was a game, <laughs> and he was the only one who saw it. I said, yeah, Donnie two-time. Like, everyone knows that game, you know. <laughs> and then he, you know, was talking about something else. And I said, and I said, no, you know, actually, it's blah, blah, blah. And then Dave Cameron said, you know, you just got well actually by Wendy. <laughs> and, I said, and I said something like, I've mansplained. I feel so powerful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was really great. That, that sounds good. awesome. It was really good. Yeah, you definitely sound like you're sitting with a wide berth right now. So you're definitely really pulling into the male privilege from the mansplaining, Wendy. Yeah, well I've I, I got my legs spread way yeah, out. That's right. <laughs> I mean, Ruben and I were sitting right next to each other when this started. Now we're on the other sides of the room here. I'm, I'm so. sitting on the arm of the yeah. couch. <laughs> I, I, I really, really hope so. Well, I, I mean, we, I hope, I really I have. I hope you guys get off the call and you're really like your confidence is shook and you're kind of questioning <laughs> yourself and you know you're wondering if you could t you should take your Twitter account private because you're a little bit you know. I'm just gonna start sleeping with anyone and everybody be to get myself worth back up. That's really not me. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet through it like one <laughs> out of thirty. We're starting right now. <laughs> 
always tweet through it. <laughs> um, well, before we get to just a couple of Twitter questions, because there was a bunch of scattershot ones throughout the week, I do want to ask a question for of both of you. And, Wendy, you're, you're writing at multiple places, and, uh, and Ruben, you're just writing, period. But, you know, we all have that in common about writing about baseball. And it's a question that, that the, the ball talk you were just at made me think. You know, you have these people on this panel. We kind of... At some point, we've kind of written all the forms of baseball stories that you could possibly write, and at some point, you are potentially just getting close to plugging in different names, and that's about it. But essentially, what do you think, and especially with all the multiple outlets, I mean, you just named an outlet I'd never heard of, an entire platform dedicated just to sports talk, you know, that's like every every platform gets essentially appropriated by sports Twitter at some point, or sports whatever, um, so, you know, essentially not just like finding something original to stand out because standing out's always going to be difficult in, in the internet, on the internet, but sort of what do you guys think about this? Do you try to find, do you have a process that you go through of, of weeding out stories you think are too familiar or, cause I'm a hack. So I'm just like, all right, let's just plug this in. Oh, Pokemon go. Let's do that. Oh, suicide squad came out this week, but like, how do you, uh, how do you kind of fight through that that uh, the, the repetition of it? It's a long season, and it's an even longer sports baseball writing season. Yeah, I I I, um, I mean this season I've only been writing for the for Sporting News. Um, my I've been doing some other kind of non sportsy projects and um, like not publishing publicly, and all of my baseball stuff has been at Sporting News and. And then, and I would say that, you know, I have free reign to kind of say, oh, I want to write about this. I want to write about that, you know, in the context of the fact that there's two regular writers at the Sporting News, uh, Ryan Fagan and Jesse Spector, who kind of write either every day or most of the days of the week. So as long as it's not something that they've kind of touched on, you know, I have free reign. And I do feel like, uh, and this isn't a slight at any one kind of you know, any one site or another, but I mean, putting aside baseball prospectus and fan graphs, which, you know, I think are, I mean, that's, that's, it's not, you know, those are not, I mean, they are obviously available to the general public, but they're, they're at a nitty gritty level of analysis that, um, you know, I just kind of put them in a separate category, but as between like, you know, hardball talk, you know, CBS baseball, all sports illustrated, Sporting News, ESPN, I, I, and then kind of just the beat writers and, you know, whoever else is writing about baseball, uh, SB Nation, kind of the baseball page. I feel like there is a bit of a commodification. Like you see, you know, one person might, I mean, it, it's like grants more like interesting creative stuff doesn't really get commodified, but like, Everyone, I feel, you know, like everyone does their para rankings. Everyone will once a month or twice a month check in on like who's leading in the MVP race. Um, people will write about, you know, uh, once the first month of the season is over, people will start talking about trades, right? And they'll be like, yeah, this trade that could be happening, that'll lead up to July. And then all of August will be about, you know, non, you know, um, will be about, you know, trades that have to go through the waiver wire. I mean, there, there is, I have found, having now 
doing this for five years, there is kind of a rhythm to it. And obviously what happens on the field and who the players are kind of dictated. But I, I have found that it does become a little, and I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of this too, which is, which is trying really hard to find a way to say something that's interesting um, and new, right? I mean, looking at something, you know, in a new way or, you know, approaching like a story that has been written a million times in a, with a different angle. Um, I think it's hard. Um, so, you know, and, and for what it's worth, you know, the, I guess newspapers, you know, the, um, what AP isn't AP the one that is like moving toward essentially having bots write game stories, <laughs> yeah. right? Haven't they like created, you know, so, and for example, like, you know, I remember when Andy Baggerly, you know, one of his beeps, so to speak, when he was at CSN Bay Area was that they didn't send him on every trip, right? And he, whatever, he was reported or whatever, that he, you know, he felt like he couldn't really do his job if he was going to miss kind of, you know, a couple of long road trips. Well, the Chronicle doesn't send everybody. I mean, like, Susan Slusser didn't go on the A's most recent road trip. Um, they relied on AP stories. Um, I think the Chronicle has, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if it, there's been a giant speed writer on every um, trip. CSN Bay Area has continued to not, you know, Alex Pavlovich doesn't go on every trip. Sometimes he'll just be in the studio uh, on the pre and post game show when they're away. So um, it, it is, you know, it is very interesting to see you know, even in just in the five years that I've been doing this, how how much uh, um, how how much harder and harder it I think it is to stand out, and how much of the kind of daily stuff of the beat has changed so much. Yeah, yeah. That was why I That's, asked. I, I yeah, mean, I've just noticed it's really, it's... really, really long answer to yeah. that question. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. No, I I think when you just about covered it, I mean, I. For me, it's unimaginable, uh, at least for Matt right now, doing like covering every game like the beat guys do, and especially having to appeal to such a broad audience. That is not something I could manage. Um, I think when I do have to write this sort of day to day stories, I I don't know. Like the facts are not news to anyone. Like everyone either watched the game or is going to watch the highlights or is going to find you know Baggerly or Shulman's piece that is like this is what happened here is a concise and accurate report so i don't know what was weird like what about that was weird what i mean i hate to say it but what fits into a a, a narrative that i want to talk about um you know if sure the giants won uh 10 to nothing but uh but brandon belt struck out four times so i need to talk about that that's important um yeah, what's a good story, and uh, and what can I make dumb jokes about? Because <laughs> if I can't make dumb jokes, then why am I even here? You know, that's why they brought me here. Yeah, that's kind of my thing too. And I'm sure yeah. anyone who listens or reads my stuff, you know, I I do not uh, come across as having a firm grasp of the analytical fundamentals, and uh, and to some degree that's by choice because at some point I start to feel like you know when your arm falls asleep, my brain does that. Uh, And and so, you know, what I've watched, like most of us, I've watched baseball my entire life. I've played it and been around the the game 
in any number of ways. I was I was a broadcaster in college, so you know it's just like what is what is not not just interesting about the game, but the team. I I, I feel like the the other aspect of it is you know the beat writers have to present the facts, and as Ruben you said, facts aren't news. Um, you know, Buster Posey is Buster Posey in in a press conference or after a game. But what about the you know the Buster Posey who kind of has that annoyed look on his face? That to me suggests a completely different person under the surface who can't come out of of that shell. He's got to be the star, the face of the team. You know, he's got to be respectable to the umpire because he he needs the umpire to like him for when he steals strikes. You know, those types of things. But what does Buster Posey really wish he could say, or you know, those types of things? Then I start to look at it from that aspect. I'm like, okay, create a premise and, you know, maybe based on the fact and then try to see if I can support it with whatever. But that's difficult, too. <laughs> like, the sort of, if you're a beat writer, at least you do get that extra, you're right there with that stimulus every day interviewing people. Although I couldn't imagine asking baseball players about playing baseball every single day as my job. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> How yeah. did it feel swinging something you've done for 15 years and you've probably swung the bat a million times? <laughs> right, which is why you get a lot of, you know, talk about what you were thinking in that at bat. Yeah, uh, or, you know, plate. how are you feeling after you hit that walk-off home run? Angel Bagan, let me ask you. You just, you know, hit a walk-off triple. You know, how are you feeling about that? Well, you know, frankly, I'm just fucking annoyed about it <laughs> yeah. because I, I mean i wanted to hit an inside the park home run and i you know ever since i you know was torn by hammy they don't send me anymore you know i mean like yeah. i don't know it's it it it's guys, guys i'm obsessed with sequencing pitch sequencing and i know if i got like a, an afternoon to talk to an entire pitching staff about sequencing that it would just ultimately the answers would all be um, it's about executing my pitch. Yeah, just trying to make a good <laughs> that's, day. Yeah, that's like, all it would be. I'm like, <laughs> you'd get one day in that clubhouse, and then every time you came in after that, it would be like, oh god, here comes sequencing guy. Right. Well, because I feel like sequencing to me, I guess it's the story mind, it's the storytelling part of my brain. I'm like, that's a sequence of events, right? That's yeah. you know, that's plot essentially. You're trying to set up this guy, or why do you want to sequence him that way? What right, it's are, the thing, yeah. and it's the thing that analytics we don't have a, a metric for yet. You know, we can't really cover like, well, what happens when Bumgarner sets up his his curveball with a couple of, of sliders? You know, what happens after after that fastball just keeps getting higher? Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's the the un, unexplored threshold, um, and yeah, it is a story. And and what what is how is. How do they know that setting anything up? Is that because in their mind, for, and from their perspective, it's setting it up? Are they that sure, scouting-wise, that that's how you set that guy up? You know yeah. what I mean? And then it differs from pitch to pitch. Madison Bumgarner's curveball is different from Matt Moore's curveball and fastball and cutter. You know, those are all different. So you couldn't necessarily apply the same. I don't know. See, there's at least some different dimensions to that. But ultimately, it just comes down to, I threw this pitch at this time to this better. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I mean, I, I, I can contrast. I mean, I, I've had the um, – I, I haven't been in the clubhouse all that much this year, but when I used to write a lot for the old Sports on Earth site, 
Um, I was probably in the Giants clubhouse or the A's club or some clubhouse, you know, once a week, maybe once every 10 days. And um, I and I would and I also covered like media days and stuff like that. So I, I remember when um, when Kane was injured, I'm trying to remember which it was. He was injured and then he came back and everyone thought he was going to be great. And he wasn't. So I'm thinking it was. Um, you got many different opportunities. To I know. From I, think it, I think it was Media Day, um, 2015, maybe. Anyway, and um, I I talked with Matt. I, I you know I I tried to talk to him. Like, you know, what 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 are you going to work on in spring training? You know, when you thought back to kind of what. What didn't work? I must have asked fifteen questions to try to get something other than I didn't execute my pitches, or I just my pitches just didn't go where I wanted them to go, and like that's all I got. Right? I mean, it was yeah. just like I just banged my head against the wall. But contrast that with um, kind of an ongoing discussion that I had for several years in the clubhouse with Jeremy Affel about. Kind of the the question, like the question of can anyone be a closer? Um, can anyone be a closer at any time? You know, I mean, right? Like, like Sabermetric says, put your best guy in when the game is on the line. Um, you know, don't hold back your best pitcher for that. You know, the the whole kind of Sabermetric approach. And I had an ongoing, detailed uh, to and fro with Affelt for years about. Um, kind of, you know, his, his thoughts on that, like, yes, he, you know, he definitely, you know, he, when he was called upon in 2014, right. So 2014 was when, um, Casilla got hurt. Right. And they used Affel, Lopez and Romo kind of in a mixture of stuff. Like they really kind of went the sabermetrics way mostly because they had no choice, like that, you know, had no choice. And then Romo kind of emerged. That was 2014, right? Or 2012. 2012 would have to be it, yeah. Right, 2012. Okay. So, um, right, because 2014, Bumgarner just closed every game in the postseason. It was one of those times we won the World Series. I forget which one. Anyway. um, We are such jerks. Anyway, the point of the story is some guys – you know, this is why, you know, Affelt's on TV now. And this is why, you know, he's so interesting to have on. Um, some, you know, some guys, you know that there's stuff going on and they, they're really thoughtful about it and, and they like to talk about it, you know. And some guys, I mean, I'm not saying Matt Cain isn't thoughtful, but from Matt Cain's perspective, there is, I, I think there's not much ever to be gained by talking to someone who might write something that might reveal something about his craft and might make it easier for people to, you know, figure out what his strategy is. Um, Affelt kind of had a very different approach uh, to that, and then a lot of kind of players fall in between. So, but I think Affelt is definitely, you know, he's, I think he's more, he's definitely the exception. So, you know, if you're not, you know, I think it's one of the things that I think it's been very interesting to watch kind of, you know, Saris's, um, writing develop and the way he, you know, he, he, he gets in there. He really does. He, 
gets in there. He does the grip stuff, um, you know, pitcher grips. And, you know, we've had, he's had lots of players tell him, you know, no. I mean, the coaches tell me and, you know, the manager tells me, don't, don't talk about your grip. Don't let anyone take a picture of it. Um, some guys, you know, just more comfortable with it. Some teams are more comfortable with it. Um, but how many, you know, like I read, you know, stuff, but like how many people are really, are really reading that? You know, how well, many this people? Is where, this is where technology, you know, the television internet merging should happen in a lot of ways. You know, Fox has this baseball contract that they definitely seem disinterested in having every time they broadcast. I don't know. It just seems like with so many outlets, so many opportunities, I don't see the harm in ESPN's midweek games integrating more of that type of stuff into their broadcasts. MLB Network has been experimenting with different forms of broadcast. So I think, I mean, yeah, to your point, I'm like, it's out there and it's just not getting this huge audience. I, I just don't, I mean, I don't think you're suggesting that that means you should stop, but it's just sort of like, to what end are we trying to find these different takes on these things if if it if all people want is the same crap that they've been getting for a hundred years so yeah i, I can see well, that I mean, it, it is really interesting you know um uh if you compare and i i i did a talk on this on a much very much broader topic kind of comparing the demographics of the fan base for the nba versus major league baseball and and the approach on so many issues, like allowing gifts to go forward, not allowing gifts to go forward, you know, uh, blackout, streaming, um, you know, analytical tools. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's like you can't even, you know, these two sports and they are kind of consumed by different people in a different way. Um, um, you know, the analytical writers have kind of a different place. People, like basketball writers don't like, you don't see basketball writers saying, well, well, sport vision and, you know, knowing about, I mean, you see Charles Barkley say stuff like that, but you know, you don't, you just don't see the pushback against the notion of like new ways of analyzing stuff. Anyway, it's, 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 it's very interesting. I, I do wonder if baseball is ever going to get over the hump um, with younger players, younger, younger, younger audience, younger, hipper, just, different audience than their current audience all right so let's uh let's answer a couple of our twitter questions here every week we ask for them if you're not following mccroncast at mccroncast on twitter please do so it's the it's the best way for me to access the questions um wendy do you have one teed up because i've got one teed up but I, I don't. you shoot okay all right so the first question we have comes from uh whoops i clicked on the wrong thing here we go comes from at uh, S. Svensson19, Steve Svensson, who's messaged us before, and he asks a great timely question. If you could pick who gets the start when the number five spot in the rotation is up next, who would it be? I'd like Block or Gregorio. Now, I say that speaks to, that's the end of the question. I think it speaks to the bigger issue of, well, today is uh, September 1st, so the rosters have expanded and the Giants have made a number of call-ups, one of them being minor leaguer Ty Block, who is a starter. Uh, but right away, I want to just throw out there that it's already been discussed. It looks like uh, Suarez will be starting uh, the, for the number five spot against the Cubs on Friday. But uh, who would you rather see, Wendy? Um, <laughs> or does it matter because it's the Cubs? 
Well, I don't know who. What, um, I know that the Cubs had some uncertainties too. So tomorrow is Samarja versus Mike Montgomery. I mean, John Lackey's still on the DL. Um, who? Who do the? I mean, it's a four-game series, so it's kind of important who matches up against two. Um, who do the Cubs have going on? So tomorrow is going to be Samarja versus Montgomery, and Friday, well, it's Lester, and it's well. MLB, it's still listed as to be determined. So has it been decided it's going to be Suarez? Well, that's at least what was – that was crossing through. Uh, if it wasn't uh, Shulman, it was another one of the beat guys. But okay. that, that was what I saw. Uh, well, the official and- the official call-ups, by the way, Mac Williamson, Josh Osich, Ty Block, Kelby Tomlinson, Matt Reynolds, and Steve Okert. So a lot of lefties in there and then a couple of right-handers, right, right-handed bats for the Giants. Right. Um – I don't. I mean, I don't know that it matters much. Lester is really pitching incredibly well, and you only have you're not coming around. You know, I mean, whether it's you know Ty Block or Suarez or or Kane coming off the DL or somebody else. Um, I guess my my get my take would be to pitch the person you think will give you the most uh, in, uh, innings and pitches. Um, because who? I mean, who knows what? Well, let me just say this. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe you kind of talk to people internally, and you don't announce it until you see, uh, you know, how Samarja does tomorrow. Because he's kind of Jekyll and Hyde, and we don't know which Samarja we're going to get. So you so, think a little, a little, a little uh, sleight of hand, a little showmanship, a little. Well, and, you know, uh, I mean, the question: if Samarja is a five and dive and you need to use up the bullpen, and then, you know, I think that potentially kind of affects, um, you know, who you're going to pitch. Although with expanded rosters and the bullpen really didn't have to do that much to – I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it matters all that much. It's like the Dodgers are in first place by a game and a half, and they have, like, one starter. It's just like (laughs) – Yeah. I mean, I wrote a couple of weeks ago about how they've been able to do it. I mean, their bullpen has been incredible, and their offense, um, you know, came back to life today and kind of saved their ass. Um, but um, so, I mean, I think if, yeah, that that's my take. That was what I was uh, going to mention earlier was, you know, why the Giants, the question was why the Giants didn't X, Y, and Z in the offseason get a big reliever or relievers and spend money on the bullpen, they spent on the rotation. And, you know, if the starting pitching is solid to great and the offense is solid to great, that would cover over an average bullpen and more often than not. And I think that's, you know, the Giants put their money where they thought they would get the most bang for the buck. And I, I don't see, like, to me, it's easy to point to the bullpen meltdowns, but how many of those could have been averted with better offense? or better starting pitching even. You know, I think those are counter questions that you could just as easily ask. So I think you're, you know, what you're saying about the Cubs, about their weaknesses, yeah, if someone can shut down their offense, then they suddenly are a little bit more, uh, it's more of an even playing field, for example. Will a team in the postseason be able to shut down the offense? Well, we've seen it happen already. Uh, Will the Giants be able to this weekend? Hard to say. If Jeff Samarja gives them five innings and leaves the game, Wendy, I kind of feel like the Giants won that, even if they don't win the game. 
because as as nice as Jeff Samarja's little mini comeback has been, um, it's still Jeff Samarja, and he is definitely a shark. He is a tiger shark who is going to show his his stripes at some point. And he's pitching back in Chicago where he did not do so hot. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm. I know uh, it's with the White Sox. I'm just well, saying. Well, I'm mildly. Well, <laughs> yes, Sox. yes. I'm mildly optimistic. Um, just because they're. I mean, Mike Montgomery has been okay. Um, you know, he's he was a bullpen guy for the Mariners, and he's been pushed into starting duty because. Uh, well, he John, was a starter with them, and then they moved into the bullpen. Right, and now the bullpen. Yeah. John Lack was on the DL, so. Yeah. Um. So we'll see. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is an easy one. You may not be able to come up with an answer right away, so I'll do it first. But uh, at Scotty DG1, Scott DiGiorgio, DiGiorgio. Oh, I wish I was Italian there. D, I thought it was DiGiorgio. It's not. Sorry, Scotty DG1. He asks, question for the next episode. What's worse than butt ass? Maybe we should ask the Giants. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you know that there is a Jekyll and Hyde quality of the Giants. It's uh, the butt-ass Giants. And for the bulk of the second half, they have been, you know, for the second half, they've been the butt-ass Giants, where they just can't play. They don't look like a professional baseball team. They've been really bad. What's worse than that? Well, without getting into profanities, I feel like that's that's as bad as it gets. I mean, that's that's a butt within an ass. That's It doesn't get any worse than that. Wendy, do you have, like, a, a better, more professional way of describing how much worse they can be or a worse name than well, the Well, they could be stars? the Twins or the Braves. I mean... <laughs> Perfect. I don't know. I mean, there's... You know, as, anyway, there, there's, there, there's a lot of the worst things they can make. They can play worse and they still... They could be the Braves, as, as searing an indictment as you're likely to ever find. Uh, I want to get to one last final question because, Drew, you sent, like, a, a metric F-ton of questions. I yeah. feel it's only fair to pick one, and you're a new father. At Kizar Soze asks, um, well, let me find one of the many here. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping for a Giants question. He asked not a, a lot of non-Giants questions, which are totally fine. Um, in fact, I encourage them. Uh, and that question is, I've now decided on one and that is um, broccoli or cauliflower. This is the question that actually got my attention this morning. Um, cauliflower raw, like if I have to choose one to eat raw, like, you know. Well, let's do both, raw adding, and steamed. Adding one to your salad, I would add cauliflower to my salad. But cooked, I like them both, but I prefer broccoli cooked. Yeah, I I think I'll go broccoli raw and uh, and cooked. It's it is kind of a tie, especially if you've got butter on them. The cauliflower is is still really good, and the broccoli is even better. But yeah, yeah, I made this really great um, dish the other a couple of weeks ago where I took like the broccoli like the broccolini, so not like a big stalk, right. but like kind of smaller stalks, and I chopped it up, you know, rather finely, not too fine, but you know, like we're you know. The pieces were were pretty small, and then I sautéed that in like garlic and oil and and salt and pepper and maybe some red chili flakes, and um, and then I had 
um, uh, like a, a red sauce that I'd made because the tomatoes have been so good this summer. And I, and I put some chickpeas in there and I yeah. like, heated up some red sauce, chickpeas, and I poured it over the broccoli. And it was almost like the broccoli, it just substituted for the pasta. Like you didn't need the pasta because the little piece of broccoli kind of felt like, you know, maybe like what a spiral might be in your mouth. So yeah. I had this like really luscious, flavorful, you know, spicy meal that like, like the kind of thing that like I normally would just like go for like a super spicy, you know, sauce over some pasta without the pasta. It was amazing. Wow. That I was not expecting us to get a little recipe here at the end. It was really good. <laughs> Broccolini is the way to go too, folks, if you haven't incorporated that into your, your dish making. Um, Wendy, uh, you're at the Sporting News. So where, where can people find you on Twitter if they, for some reason, don't know? I'm at Hanging Sliders. You got in early. That's like one of the best baseball handles you could possibly have. Well, actually, there's someone has Hanging Slider, which is what I wanted. <laughs> and like last tweeted in, you know, 2008 um, and never responded to comments, you know, requests from me, like, if you're not going to use this, can I have it? <laughs> um, so there's a hanging slider out there, um, taking up space, you know, in the interwebs um, that I just went ahead with hanging sliders. And it, it, it's been, it's been great. I love, I love, I just love it when, you know, I hear John Miller say, and that was a hanging slider. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's so great. I'm like, hey, he's talking about me. Yeah, you should definitely have that when you do your own show sometime. That's your part of your intro. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, I don't it's happening, but. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Wendy. Uh, look out for that Cubs article that's coming soon, that's dropping yes. soon. Yes. Um, you know, most likely Thursday, but if not Friday, it's Sporting News. All right. So look look out for that. And, um, and thanks again. Again, send us your questions whenever you can. Wendy, thanks a lot. Have a good day. Good My night. pleasure. Bye-bye. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, Ruben, thanks for coming up uh, from Miners on such short notice. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Lizen Perfidy. Um, I am, you know, all, all up in the baseball convos. Uh, that is my only online presence right now. I keep meaning to, to write more, like, random blog stuff, and it's just not happening. But when it does, you'll find it there. Okay. Well, thanks again, uh, and we'll be back next week. Good night. Good night.